everybody, Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode. Uh, I believe, yeah, we're not actually, we're not to Christmas yet, but we're almost there. So Merry Christmas, everybody. And I will say a hearty Merry Christmas to my co-host, Josh Long. Josh, Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas to you, too, sir. God bless us, everyone. Everyone. Can I call you Tiny Josh? Sure. That doesn't sound great. And I'll call you Old Man Scrooge? Old Man River. Old, there you go. I just keep that, rolling along. I don't that know. Christmas cr- tradition <laughs> of Old Man River. So um, now, Josh, this is your first uh, Christmas with a house. That's true. And it's an actual house, not like mm-hmm. my house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll put my envy aside. <laughs> but you know what? It's easy to do that because you've got yard work to do today. I do. As it turns out, Christmas around in Los Angeles does not preclude you from doing yard work. Sure does not. I got to wait for the leaves in my yard to dry so that I can rake them away from the grass so that I can cut the grass. Oh my gosh. Um, so, uh, but one thing I know, if there's somebody I know that is a bigger fan of Christmas than me, it is, well, it's probably Charlie, my cat, who cannot (laughs) wait to, uh, just lie down under the tree for basically a month. Uh, but third place Mm. actually no sorry i'm in third place so uh, first place above charlie i'm gonna say is you all right which is weird because you're a very aloof person you're someone who doesn't really have feelings but it's interesting (laughs) to me that uh christmas just brings it out in you i do love christmas and now you have the opportunity to decorate the outside of your house and you did it pretty quick like the weekend after Thanksgiving, I think, right? Yeah, because I like to. Tr- I mean, I like to have them for as long as possible. Right. But you, so I always try and I try and do the day after Thanksgiving if I can. And then yeah. I think I was working or no, I was I wasn't in town. Yeah. But um, but yeah. So as soon as I could, got all those lights up. And I've, and here's the thing: my my family actually never never really decorated the outside of our house for mm-hmm. Christmas. That was just not a thing that we did like the inside. Absolutely. But, sure. uh, that was just not a priority for, for us. Uh, not to mention when we lived in Denver, we lived across the street from a guy named Merle okay. who was retired. All right. And he had nothing else to do. <laughs> and he went all out and it was obnoxious and it was ridiculous. It was like, it made Clark Griswold look like a minimalist. Um, <laughs> And so she's like, okay, well, we'll just bask in the glow of his uh, lights. But I did have the thought that like, if I were in your position and I'm like up there on the roof, like, you know, stapling or whatever it is, uh, the lights up there, I just had this thought. It's like, I would feel so, and I don't say this in a negative way. I would feel so suburban. Like, I feel like (laughs) I am a, not merely am I a man, I'm a certain type of man now. Um, so like, as you were doing this for the, maybe not the first time, I'm sure you helped your parents like decorate the outside of your house when you were younger. I used to do my parents' house. And then when I was in college, we, uh, I shared a house with with like 14 other guys. Okay. So this is not your first, but this is your house. This is the first it's been my house. I did the, I did the, uh, the townhouse that I used to live at with some other roommates. That's right. That's right. We outlined that in lights one year, which was 
which was fun. Um, and if I lived, cause in my townhouse community, there are ones that have like porches and, uh, and all that. If I lived in one of those, yeah, I could do the outside. Right. Yeah. Um, or if you were like facing the street or something. Oh, absolutely. But, but mine just doesn't allow is. for that to yeah. happen. And so, um, but yeah, so now there's a pride of ownership and like you're staking <laughs> your claim and saying this house on this block celebrates the birth of Christ <laughs> with all these lights. Exactly. Um, so did you feel, how did it make you feel like actually like saying, like this is uh, my first time as a, as a homeowner staking my Christmas claim? It was a lot of fun. I, I uh, the, the hardest thing was figuring out like, because when you've done it, in one place more than one year, you kind of have like your set routine and you know where you run all the power and everything. And this was kind of from scratch. I had to figure out like, yeah, do I have enough outlets? Do I need to buy some kind of, you know, splitters and extension cords? And yes, of course was the answer. Yes. Um, but, uh, but it was fun. So now I'm just thinking, what can I add next year? Uh Oh, it's going to get bigger. I've got one word for you. <laughs> Merle. Uh, and Merle was the type he, he actually passed away, uh, recently. In fact, um, mm-hmm. I w- went to visit, um, Denver, uh, last fall and went to visit my old house and had discovered that only a couple of days before I went to visit, uh, he had passed away. Uh-huh. And so, um, <clears throat> he, uh, yeah, he was also something of a busybody. Uh, <laughs> there were certain rules in our little suburban subdivision and, uh, my brother uh, lost his license at one point, And so there was a third car to juggle and we had a two car uh, garage. And so occasionally so that my parents could get out, my brother would have to park his car on the street, which is not allowed. And so we got a lot of complaints from old Merle uh, and I could see you becoming that guy uh, in a few years. Maybe. So maybe. if that's I mean, what rules know. are rules. Ty. <laughs> Wow. You are really embodying this character. I mean, I just want to help everyone have a society here. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm sure any number of uh, Orwellian characters said that. <laughs> so anyway, okay. Well, enough about that. Merry Christmas. Uh, I hope everybody is having a good holiday season. Um, but we've got something to talk about. Sure do. We've got to talk about the best picture of 1957, David Lean's The Bridge on the River Kwai, which is a marvelous film that I've seen many times at this point. Uh, Some of these movies I need, some of these best pictures I need to watch for the first time. Some of them I need to rewatch because I haven't seen them in a while. Bridge on the River Kwai, I'm fine. I've probably seen it four or five times in my life, which basically makes up a good percentage of my life because it's a, it's a longer film. (laughs) It is quite long. Um, but I feel like it flies by. Mm -hmm. Um, there are certain elements that I think are more interesting than others. I'm, I'm infinitely more interested in Alec Guinness's character than William Holden's. Hmm. Not that his story is interesting because he actually manages to escape. And then the specifics of his story require that he go back in, which is just like, has to be so frustrating. So I do feel that, but to me, the, the um, relationship between Colonel Nicholson and Colonel Saito is like, that's the core of the film. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, it's, a, it's um, for, for I get most people probably have seen, I don't know. It's, it's one of those ones that, that isn't so ubiquitous that I think everyone has seen it. 
Yeah, it's hard to know. I think in the so I, I think I might have said this in my when we were talking about Lawrence of Arabia. So back when I did my undergrad, see that's <laughs> what I'm supposed to say now, Ooh. as opposed to back when I was in college. Um, I took a David Lean class, mm-hmm. and the instructor led with. He said, "Okay, uh, there are three movies we will not be watching." <laughs> And that's Lawrence of Arabia, Bridge on the River Kwai, and Dr. Zhivago. Because I'm assuming that if you are taking this class, you've already you've seen, seen those, those films. Yes. And if you haven't, you should. But you're going to see them on your own time. Because honestly, we're going to spend time on his lesser known films. Because he's known for epics. Right. But early on in his career, he made like very intimate films. He made a couple of Dickens adaptations. Yeah, yeah. It was a mar- Which I'd still love to see his great expectations. I've never seen. It's that, great. Yeah, it's really, really good. Um, and I'm a big fan of his Oliver Twist as well. Really, certain stereotypes aside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then Bre- uh, a brief encounter is uh, a brief encounter is good. Yeah, marvelous. And then uh, Criterion released a, 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 a Noel- set of his films. Noel Coward. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's one. I'm not a big fan of Bly's Spirit, but. Um, but uh, this happy breed is marvelous. Have I you seen it? At all, no. It's really, really good. Um, so yeah, he really did some some great work. But he is known for those three, for those films. three films. And this is one of the major ones that I yeah I think a lot of people have seen. But I don't know. I, I would I would guess there's a lot of uh, younger film fans coming to to learn about him who might yeah. not have seen this one. And it's. It is definitely one to seek out. Yeah. And that that uh, relationship that you were mentioning is kind of the, that's, I think, the most interesting part of it. I think so. It's It reminds me in some ways of um, Grand Illusion. I was going to say Grand Illusion, yeah. Same deal where you have these two men who are on opposite sides, but because yeah. they hold these same, uh, these same kind of ideals and standards yeah. for how they're supposed to handle themselves. Um, but that's what this, I think this becomes more interesting in that because, uh, once what's the character's name when they get Nicholson, once Nicholson has been in the camp that long, that sort of way of, of, uh, that, that set of ideals of how soldiers should act comes, uh, supersedes his duty, his actual duty to his country. Yeah. And that's where it becomes interesting. It's uh, in that class, by the way, um, it was a David Lean, Michael Powell class. Okay. Um, And so for my final paper, I compared Colonel Nicholson to uh, quote unquote Colonel Blimp, which is uh, uh, Clive Wincandy and just their sense of honor and how that winds up and that even though in life and death of Colonel Blimp, um, Clive Wincandy is an honorable guy, Mm -hmm. there's an argument to be made that his honor actually makes him less equipped to fight the Nazis who don't play by the rules. Mm -hmm. Um, but that these guys are so defined by this code of honor, um, that it actually kind of blinds them to what is necessary, what is actually necessary. Right. And I think there's a, there's definitely a, um, there's a tragic quality to that. And I think there's a, there's an ambiguity to that, that one would not expect from yeah. a war movie of the 1950s. Well, and also it's, uh, I think it, the, this film does such an excellent job of 
keeping us inside that mindset and inside that world that we're not even thinking about the degree yeah. to which he's betraying his country. Um, to the point I, I bristle at the idea of, of him betraying his country. Yeah. It doesn't, it's like, he's not serving his country. He's, or rather he's not serving the cause. He's thinking outside of war. He's yeah. thinking like when this war is over and it will be eventually, mm -hmm. then we will have this lasting legacy. Mm -hmm. It's weird. Like he's taking the long view when in fact the short view is the more patriotic view and, right. the, and the more pragmatic view. Yeah. And both of them are rooted in patriotism, are rooted in, you know, like a, a duty to country. But he... He's lose he's loses sight of the big picture yeah. for the day to day, and, and and his the moment of his realization is I think one of the strongest moments yeah. in film history. Yeah, what have I done? Yeah, it's such a marvelous uh, and it is a genuine moment of realization. And you know, it's so fascinating how there are certain lines uh, that you can. I remember uh, watching the commentary of uh, Videodrome with uh, James Woods, um, in which he there's a line in which he's saying, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, he goes, in my career, I've probably had to ask, what do you mean on screen? Like hundreds of times. Mm -hmm. He said, you don't, you don't realize just how often you say that line mm -hmm. and you have to try and make it work every single time. Huh. Now, admittedly, what have I done is not a line like that, but it's a line we've seen a billion times yeah. and it needs to and Like you would think that that type of sentiment, mm -hmm. um, would lose its weight. Uh, sure. But when you see that moment, yeah, like that is the, that is the essence of what have I done? Yeah. And it's, it's not just the line. Cause the line itself is simple and one that's mm -hmm. been said and written before, but the way that the script has led up to that line, the way that he performs it and the way that it's directed all yeah. give it this power. Yeah. Um, that kind of sh shows what filmmaking can do. And what great acting can do. That's yeah. the other thing is that like, okay, so real quick, we, we've been talking about the film and we don't need to necessarily need to give that much of a background on it just because it, this isn't a full episode, but you know, it's, it's about a Japanese prison camp during world war two in which, uh, you see various, uh, types of prisoners. You see American prisoners, but at the start of the film, you basically see like a whole British battalion, mm -hmm. um, led by Colonel Nicholson played by Alec Guinness. And, uh, and it's a, it's a POW camp, but it's, it also turns into a work camp. And so he and his, uh, his soldiers are pressed into work to build a bridge and it's, uh, over a, a river called Kwai. Hmm. That's where the uh, title comes from. Oh. And there's this guy named Lawrence, who's a doctor. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, that's a weird joke to make. I'm sorry. Um, and so, uh, so it's about Colonel Nicholson and his relationship to the guy who runs the camp named Colonel Saito. And I feel terrible, but I, I'm not sure how to say the actor's name. Uh, Seshu uh, Hayakawa. Sesue Hayakawa. That's how I would say, yeah. Uh, who was nominated for supporting actor, and rightfully so. That's a great performance as well. Because um, yeah. he's this... He's this, you know, disciplinarian and all that. But you also realize that there's a lot of pressure on Japanese soldiers that right. like, if you, if you fail, mm -hmm. there's an expectation that you are not going to continue to live. Yeah. And, and to, to both write this character 
as to, to write this character and play this character as a real person instead of a, a caricature of yeah. the bad guy only, you know, what less than 15 years after yeah. the war is over is it shows a lot of, uh, I, I, think, I think it's great. Well, I'm sure the I'm sure the actor himself has a fair amount of s- sympathy for the character. Sure, yeah. Given, you know, that he is in fact yeah. an Asian actor and that they, you know, cast a real Asian actor. Yeah. And, there's a moment where there, there's a battle of wills very early on between Colonel Saito and Colonel Nicholson that Nicholson eventually wins. And you hear everybody, you know, the British soldiers like cheering and everybody and, and all that. And you see Colonel Saito alone and he and he's crying like he's just it's just. And in that moment, it's like, I'm not on your side. And yet I totally understand where you're coming from. Yeah. I have had those moments when. I've been trying to accomplish something and it's a matter of principle for me and all of that. And it's just, and it just didn't work out and I have failed. And what's more, I've failed publicly Mm, and that is devastating. Mm -hmm. And it really humanizes that character. And then the two men kind of bond over the building of the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's so fascinating. Um, but let's, let's go back to, um, some of the awards that the film won. It won Best Picture Director, Best Actor for Alec Guinness, uh, Adapted Screenplay, Cinematography, Editing, and Music. Uh, it was nominated for one award, one other award, which was Supporting Actor for Sesue Hayakawa. Um, so yeah, I do want to talk about Alec Guinness. This is probably the second film I saw of his, uh, which is probably the case for most film people our age. We saw him as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, and then I saw in, in more than one film, he's Obi-Wan Kenobi though. Right. I said performance. Oh, he's okay. giving the same performance all in right, all three. All right, all right. Mm, maybe that's not true. <laughs> an argument could be made. He's giving less of an effort, uh, in, by the time that third one rolls around. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, uh, it's, it's not unlike when you see, you know, uh, like my first exposure to Dustin Hoffman was like in hook. He was mumbles and Dick Tracy, but hook was like a lead. That was a, that was a lead performance yeah. and it's a delightful performance as captain hook. And, and it's like, Oh wow, this is great. And then you, then you get older and you see him in like rain man yeah. and then Kramer versus Kramer and the graduate yeah. and like, all oh. the president's men. And you think, Oh, this is one of the best actors of all time. <laughs> I, I had that thought today, a similar thought when I'm thinking, Someday when I have kids, uh, the first time they see the Godfather, they're going to be like, wait, that's the dad from elf. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's, and honestly, like, I think we were at that age when there are some great act, some great, like not even character actors, but just some legendary Hollywood royalty uh, that started branching out into like kind of silliness. Like Mm -hmm. my first Jack Nicholson performance was Batman. Oh yeah. I guarantee the first time I ever saw Gene Hackman was as Lex Luthor. Now admittedly that was, (laughs) that was like 78. So it was earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was still when he was very much at the height of, you know, but also Marlon Brando was, uh, in Superman as well. Yeah, exactly. And that also comes because the age of the blockbuster started shortly before we were born. So then it was kind of a new thing for all these. And they didn't, Totally no. It, it was untrained yeah. territory for everybody. So yeah. actors like Gene Hackman and Marlon Brando were like, I, Superman, sure, I guess it's a, this is yeah. what we do now. And like if, 
Now, I would say that a movie like Gods and Monsters or uh, Richard III uh, made in the 90s is not quite as essential as something like Bridge on the River Kwai or, or The Godfather or something like that. But I'm sure there's a generation of people, and maybe ours, that think of Ian McKellen as like, oh, he's Gandalf and Magneto. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yes, but I think my yes. introduction to him was in, I think I saw Richard III when I was in high school, and he's mm-hmm. amazing in that. And then he's wonderful in Gods and Monsters. Yeah. And then he played Magneto and then he played Gandalf and it's just like, Oh, right. Uh, this guy is like one of the best actors of all time. Yeah. And he does bring uh, all these actors bring wonderful things to these characters. Um, you know, Alec Guinness was nominated for supporting actor for Obi-Wan Kenobi, but it's always fun to go back and see that these actors started in, you know, some cases like very serious drama or in Alec Guinness's case, like, yeah, he did start in 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 drama with David Lean. He acted in in uh, his his uh, Charles Dickens adaptations, mm-hmm. um, but then also he was in those Ealing comedies, yeah. and he was in you know Kind Hearts and Cornets. Right. He's in the Lavender Hill Mob. He's in the Man in the White Suit, and uh, he's delightful in the the original Lady Killers. Mm-hmm. It's like when you look at Obi Wan Kenobi, you don't think of like this goofy. Uh, British actor. I feel like if you were to watch like a bunch of those Ealing comedies right before watching Star Wars, that Obi Wan Kenobi would seem funnier. <laughs> but, yeah, you'd be like, "This is that goofy guy," and you just see him a different way. Yeah, like when he's waving that sword around, it's like, "Oh, watch out!" <laughs> um, but yeah, and when you see him as Colonel Nicholson in the Bridge on the Requi, like it is a wonderful performance. He did win Best Actor for it, and rightfully so because this is a character who is. It's so interesting because when he eventually gets around to what have I done, it's a moment of self-realization. And this is not a guy who's oblivious to himself, but he's been trained to put to put himself second or third behind mm-hmm. country and behind this yeah. code of honor. Yeah. And so he'll do those things first. Now, obviously it's still his interpretation of what that means. Sure. So he's still involved in that, but this is a guy who is not meant to look inward. Hmm. Yeah. He's meant to just follow orders and do things the right way. And which is a very stereotypical British thing. Yes. Uh, Yeah. A British soldier. Come on. Like that's, (laughs) that's someone who's going to uh, follow the rules. And so, uh, so in that moment, so it, when the bridge is finally complete, there's actually a nice moment when he's standing on the bridge with Colonel Saito and he's talking about his legacy. And now he's talking personally. Mm. And so he's on the, he's like on the edge of like a personal realization, but it's of a different sort. And then when he finally gets around to what have I done? Like that's when, that's when he gets a little bit of perspective on his larger goals. And then the role that his interpretation of honor and duty uh, has betrayed him. Right. Um, And it's just such a, such a marvelous performance and just, and a brilliantly written character as well. Um, And so there's just so much to this film. And so here's what I'll, because we, we talked about this a little bit at the beginning. Um, I'll, I'll say this uh, listeners in the comments section, right. You know, uh, give your answer. Is this film seen as essential the way something like Lawrence of Arabia is? Mm-hmm. That's a movie that people say you need to see. Yeah. That's one that um, will regularly show up on, on top 10 lists, including mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a 
a perfect film. Um, is Bridge on the River Kwai seen as essential viewing for film people? Dr. Zhivago has fallen off. It yeah. used to be those three. You absolutely need to see them if you're a big fan of epics. Zhivago has fallen off a little bit. Yeah. Lawrence of Arabia, I think, has been elevated. And yeah. then Bridge on the Requi, I I've lost perspective on it because of when I saw it and how vital it has been to me. Yeah, I still think of it as vital film viewing, but it could be that people don't. Like I, I feel like I don't hear about it as much. Right. It's it's like the French connection. Yeah. Um, where it won a bunch of Oscars that year. It was seen as very influential for a very long time. But now that we've got several decades on it, it's it, is it seen as that vital yeah um and so listeners uh in the comment section please say uh the role that bridge on the require has played in your film viewing and if you saw it out of curiosity if you saw it out of being interested in david lean or if you saw it because people said you've got to see this hmm. um i don't know so uh I, that's something i would like to hear because at yeah. this point i've I, I i've lost perspective on a lot of things yeah um so okay the other Best Picture nominees for 1957. You've got Peyton Place, Sayonara, 12 Angry Men, and Witness for the Prosecution. I have seen neither Peyton Place or Sayonara. I've heard good things about Sayonara. Um, I've obviously seen 12 Angry Men and Witness for the Prosecution. Yeah, that's that's. I'm in the same boat. So is this a hard one for you because 12 Angry Men is such a vital Tw film for you? 12 Angry Men is my uh, sixth favorite movie of all time at this yeah. point. Uh, I do like it more than bridge on the required, but that's just because of my personal mm -hmm. preferences. I, and it, it, the two couldn't be more different. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're both, they're both very much, I would say they explore, uh, male dynamics. That's true. Um, so there is that, yeah. but, um, but at the same time, like, I think I like some of the themes of 12 angry men more. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's more relevant to my own life. Yeah. But at the same time, just from, again, from an achievement standpoint, it's uh, 12 uh, right. bridge on the requires hard to beat. And yeah. so I, I actually don't have a problem with it. And I'm a huge mm -hmm. fan of witness for, for the prosecution. Yeah. That's a great film too. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think having not seen Peyton place or Sayonara, um, this is one of those movies where, uh, you know, the, the spectacle, uh, is indicative of just the, the ambition of the filmmaker mm -hmm. and, but it doesn't swallow up, uh, the themes that the film is exploring or the characters that it is using to explore it, you know? Right. I think that's, that's usually when I get frustrated by, um, ha uh, uh, the Academy awarding, spectacle is that it's mm -hmm. awarding just spectacle and nothing else. Right. Which is definitely the case with things like say the English patient or that there's definitely yeah. examples out there of where that's happened. And, and this is, and I don't think this is one of them. I think this no. is actually a very nuanced script, uh, yeah. very nuanced performances and David lean who started in small intimate character dramas. I think he has an eye for that. I mm -hmm. think he knows when to, play down the spectacle and play down the scale and just give each character, you know, seeing Colonel Saito cry. Mm -hmm. Um, and that quiet moment on the bridge, the night that they complete it, uh, with Colonel Nicholson. I think that those are the scenes I remember, you know, there's a scene of the spoilers. There's a scene of the bridge blowing up. <laughs> That's not where my mind goes first. My, when I first think of bridge on the require, I think of what have I done? Mm, yeah. That's it. Um, and I think of Colonel Saito crying and I think of just various character moments. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why 
the film works so well. It's entirely possible without that without those moments, the Academy still would have awarded it because of the scale. Yeah. But, but I think these make it yeah stand out that much more. Right. So yeah, I don't have a problem with it winning. So let's take a look at some of the other, uh, the other movies that came out in 1957. Pretty good year. Now that I look at it, um, three to Yuma is a very good film. I haven't seen uh, an affair to remember. Oh, I have God. seen a face in the crowd, which is very, very good. I haven't seen that. Yet. It's nearly a Kazan film. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Heaven knows Mr. Allison. I know, I know of that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Funny face I saw recently. That's oh, okay. No, 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 wait. I'm thinking of, uh, you're thinking of funny games. <laughs> that's what it is. No, which one's funny girl is the one that's Fanny Bryce, right? It's about Fanny Bryce with Barbara Streisand in it. I think so. Yeah. So I think funny face is the one with Fred Astaire and that sounds Audrey right Hepburn. Yeah. That's a, uh, that one's good. Like that one. Um, Knights of Kiberia, paths of glory is a marvelous film. You've got the seventh seal, hey. sweet smell of success, throne that's of blood, one. wild strawberries. Like this is a good, good year. Yeah. Now, if it were up to you, would best picture go to the seventh seal? Uh, it might. That's, that's a, that's a toss up. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, I think seventh seal is so strong, both thematically and visually and in character. Like it has all of like all the things that I think are great in bridge on the require are also great in the seventh seal. Mm -hmm. So that's, that one's hard to say. And, um, I don't know. At a point there, it's, it's apples to oranges, you know, like, yeah, they're both great. So the, the reasons that they're great are totally different. Yeah. And I think at that point it comes down to personal preference and like, what really, themes yeah. do you prefer to be explored? Yeah. I am a big fan of like explorations of masculinity and how it can bond characters together while also maintaining a certain competitive edge, which right. you find in 12 angry men and you find a bridge on the Requi. Yeah. Um, and then also like the introspection that can come with that, which you find at the end of both films, yeah. uh, with characters essentially asking, what have I done or mm-hmm. who have I become or whatever it is? Um, the questions that, you know, seven seal asks are also interesting to me, but I think you find Bergman, I, I, what, everything I've seen of Bergman, I've loved. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, but he I deals think, with certain themes yeah. and if uh, I, it, it, it can come off as dwelling on death sometimes and I can, <laughs> I can see how that wouldn't be appealed to anyone. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he, he, a lot of that film specifically is wrestling with just the idea of death and, yeah. um, uh, the specter of that, especially in, uh, a post-World War II Cold War world right. where the threat of nuclear destruction was was kind of looming over everybody. Yeah, there, there's, uh, you know, especially compared to f- the these other films that, that I like so much, like um, Witness for the Prosecution and 12 Angry Men and Paths of Glory and River Kwai, um, which... Are, are fairly even even if the themes that they're exploring are uh very you know fairly deep um the 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 world that is created is one that is fairly for lack of a better term materialistic like it's it's a tangible world whereas seven seal deals in different types of imagery and just yeah. a different world yeah yeah there's a lot of like uh metaphor and um, I'm trying to think if there's, uh, what's the word, uh, uh, with its literal allegory or not, but mm. 
there, there might be some in there. You know, and by and large, look at like when I think about my top 10, there are a couple of movies that I would say fall into that where like the imagery and just the world being created is one. It's like, this is not the world we live in, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, night of the hunter. Yeah. Bergmeister harmonies. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, uh, and it's, it could be argued that just as just stylistically the way that citizen Kane is, is put together doesn't, it, it, mirrors our world but it's not exactly our it's world kind of a heightened version yeah but my favorite film nashville that is the world that we are uh living in but it's just like the the structure of the film implies that there's so much more going on in the natural world than we are uh even aware of yeah and so i think i tend to like that mm-hmm. uh more than um than the stuff that's that is that deals heavily in symbolism and sure. allegory and that kind of yeah. thing but uh but yeah but i still enjoy those quite a bit and yeah. sometimes you know like i remember years ago there's a movie called north fork did you ever see north fork I did yeah and that's one that i just absolutely loved because mm-hmm. now maybe it was the time of my life when i saw it but just that's one that just deals very much in allegory and symbolism and right. the tone is very specific it's like this is clearly not the world we live in but i just because it tapped into certain emotions and certain uh, feelings that I had at the time and just have had most of my life. It's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I really like that. So I think that's something that Bergman would do uh, as a filmmaker. And you know, more than I do about him that like he is interested in exploring his own feelings, his own questions, and he will do it. However, seem, however seems right to him yeah. at the time. Yeah. And, uh, his movies are so personal, which is one of the reasons I like them so much, but, uh, they're very kind of naked explorations into something, whether yeah. it be this is this one's death or persona's identity and just things right. like that. And he, he real dig, he digs into them in, in a way that, that you can see coming from his theater background too, where yeah. it's, it's, um, very uh it can be pretty minimalistic sometimes and then other times it's fairly you know like wild strawberries or or like the virgin spring fairly straightforward in the way that he makes it yeah you know especially compared to something like persona Mm -hmm. um but the uh but again what he's exploring is something that is that fits with his his larger uh uh how do you say it oeuvre oeuvre yeah. yeah um so okay so listeners, if you haven't seen Bridge on the River Kwai, and that's the, again, to go back to what Josh was saying, you probably have <laughs> or not. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know if people of a certain age view it as essential viewing. So please mm-hmm. do comment in the, in the comment section of yeah. this post and let me know. Uh, but yeah, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Um, if you're a fan of David Lean, if you want to go through all the best pictures, if you like spectacle, if you like great acting, there's like, a lot it, of reasons to see this yes. one if you haven't. So, all right. Give yourself a little Christmas present and go see Bridge on the Requi. Hey. Uh, and speaking of that, I hope everybody has a Merry Christmas. We will see you next week. Uh, in the meantime, thank you for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.